Uh, first of all, worship was incredible, and I want to say thank you to my worship team for worshiping the way that they do. Thank you to all the musicians and for coming early to rehearse. I felt like the worship was excellent and that we represented the Lord and worshiped him really, really well. I also want to say thank you to all of you for worshiping the way that you do because it wouldn't be the same if this whole church didn't worship. If it was just the worship team just worshiping their faces off and having encounters and everybody else was just sitting, sitting around twiddling their thumbs, first of all, we would get discouraged because we're not here to do it alone. But second of all, worship is designed to be from front to back, all of us together in unison, in harmony, and in one accord. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm thankful that you are a worshiping church. What this church becomes is a big reflection of my wife and I. We set the culture, the tone, and the heartbeat for what happens here. Our heartbeat at Rock City Church would be to be a church that hosts God's presence, that does it in a way that's authentic, that's real, that's true, and worships with real passion. It would be a place where people can come and experience God's presence in life and heartbeat and love and be transformed and be drawn to him. Yes, we want people to be drawn here to us because we reflect him, but at the end of the day, we point everybody directly to Jesus. I want this to be a place where two things happen when visitors or people walk in. Number one, they feel a lot of love. And they feel that people are, are real and authentic. They're not pretentious. They're not, you know, wearing their titles and positions and being fake. But rather, they're really loving well. The scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. And if we we'll love really well, people can come in here hurting, broken, full of shame, full of pain, full of darkness and find life and love and liberty. And some of you this morning may really be struggling with a lot of those things. If you're struggling with feeling alone or isolated, abandoned, ashamed, if you have addictions in your life, you're in the right place. And I want you to know that. Many, many years ago when I was waiting tables at Steak and Ale restaurants in Miami, Florida, there was a girl there that didn't know the Lord, and I was super fired up. I was very vocal. I was very expressive. I know you can't imagine that, but I was very vocal and expressive about Jesus in the restaurant, and she was just drawn to that passion that was inside of my life, and so I would witness to her, and I'd write scriptures down for her, and I said, go read these. She didn't even have a Bible at the time. I said, get a Bible and read these scriptures, and I would witness to her. Many, many, many years later, I moved on to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I went to Oral Roberts University, and she wound up tracking me down on MySpace. So now you know how long ago that was, right? It's crazy to think MySpace was the thing. And uh, probably one day we might feel that way about Facebook, right? And so she messaged me on MySpace, and she said, you're never going to believe what happened to me. And I was like, what happened? She goes, I gave my life to Jesus and I got born again. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. She said, those scriptures that you wrote down for me, I actually read them. And I gave my life to Jesus. And my life has changed so much. I said, that's so great. I said, what church are you going to? She was still in Miami at the time. I was living until she goes, I'm not going to a church. And I'm like, why? You need a community family. She goes, yeah, she goes, I drive by churches and I think, you know, I might go and, you know, but then I think to myself, you know, that's, that's where all the good people should be. And I don't want to go there and be let down. And the thing is, is that this is a place where the hurting and the broken and the imperfect people can come to find God's love and power and be transformed to become like him. 
If you're struggling with hurts and pains, strife, division, addictions, worries, doubts, fears, failures, mistakes, you fill in the blank. That's why we're here. God gave us this facility, this property, and we started this church for the hurting, the broken, the lost, and the outcast. Now, God doesn't want us to stay that way, but we should be able to come into this house and find comfort from the Holy Spirit and then learn how to find it when we leave this house. All of us should be getting comfort from the Holy Spirit. All of us. That means that God speaks to me. He, he helps me in my weakness. It means that I feel his presence when I'm not here, just here. It means that I'm receiving comfort because I can't give comfort to someone else if I'm not getting it first from him, for myself. And when we all choose to live in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says God will continue to add to our lives and the churches daily. And this is a place where you can walk in. If you feel like you're in a black vortex, dark hole right now, if you feel like you're in your darkest, most difficult place, I got a word for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that God, command, God calls light out of darkness. The devil works hard to blind people's eyes so that the light won't shine into the darkness and pull people out. But that's why God gives us a voice. And just like the Lord hovered over the, the Holy Spirit, hovered over the void and the darkness of the earth, what did he do? He spoke and commanded, he said, let there be light, and he called light out of darkness. The challenge for us is in our hurts and our pains and our failures, we want to stay in darkness for all kinds of reasons. We're afraid we'll get beat up if they really knew. Christians can be the worst about kicking you when you're down, not at Rock City, because that's not my heartbeat. You can feel shame and hurts and pains and feel like nobody cares or if they really knew they won't like you or won't want to be around you. But see, God already knows and he hovers over the void and the darkness of our lives, and he commands light to come out of darkness. So even in your darkest place, God is hovering over your life, and you may feel like you made your bed now lie in it. And I get it. The world wants to say, look at what you did, you screw up. You deserve what you're getting. But the Bible says God doesn't grant us according to what we deserve, and that God's constantly thinking about us and desiring us and loving us and stretching out his arm all day long. That's why you've got to learn to hear his voice and be comforted by the Holy Spirit wherever you're at. Because one word from the Lord is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It means that he brings royalty. See, you think that God's the furthest from you. And some people walk into God's house and, man, we're worshiping. It's like some of us are so full of shame and condemnation that we feel like we can't worship the Lord. But what I want you to know is in your darkest place, in your most difficult hour, he's the closest, not the furthest. Because when we were without hope, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, when you had no hope, Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and gave the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins. When you had no hope. And so when you feel hopeless and dark and discouraged, don't stay there. Step into the light. I get it. Some of us have made a lot of failures and done a lot of bad things. But God's not caught off guard. And the truth is, is probably whatever you're going through, you're not the only one that's ever gone through it, most likely. It could be a lot worse. And the scripture says, 
that the struggles and the challenges and even the temptations that we face are common to the brethren all over the world. So God has an answer. The answer is don't stay hidden behind fig leaves and hiding places and isolated and never give up. You guys hear me? I may fail you and let you down. The person next to you may fail you and let you down. The church may fail you and let you down. You still are waiting and hoping for so long for an answer and a promise and you feel like it's not coming. But mark my words, you never give up. And whatever it is that we're facing, it pales in comparison to what the early disciples, the early church first faced after Jesus was resurrected. You got to understand that persecution and suffering and hardship are promised from the Lord. Because we're to rejoice in our suffering. Because God's in the overcoming. We learn his faithfulness by going through trials and tribulations and standing firm and not thinking it's strange, but rejoicing and understanding that Jesus went through it. But what I've got to get us to do and what I had to learn for myself was stop creating my own trials and tribulations by doing double backflips, perfect 10 swan dives into my sin. Do you understand? When Jesus comes into your life, the Holy Spirit gives you the strength and the ability and the fullness of himself to help you overcome and every tool and every resource. But the challenge is, is we live in a society that's lazy, lukewarm, heard it all, 350 churches in this city, you know, 207, I don't even know, 200 plus million people profess to be Christians in this nation. It's insanity how easy we have it. We have it so easy. But yet in 50 nations, over 50 nations, if you get caught with this, you're going to prison. 52 nations, you're going to prison. As if this was like an AK-47. But guess what? In the spirit, it is an AK-47. That's why this book is so powerful. And so you go to China, and in China, or in the places where the church is super persecuted, you see such a vibrancy and a fire and explosion and a passion. Now, I get it. We're in America. It's like, well, I'm not in China. Let me tell you a story. I took 25 spoiled Oklahoma teenagers, video games and Mountain Dews full-time, to Cuba. And we get to Cuba with the leaders, and we go into the countryside, not the areas of Havana that are all painted pretty and really nice, but to real Cuba, the place where there's poverty and the socialism has wreaked havoc. There's no grocery stores. You have to order the pigs and the chickens and your food from the government, except for fruits and vegetables, which you can grow. But everything's owned by the government. It's the socialist country. And so when you get into the, you get just outside of the city, all the paint's peeling off the buildings. You know, on the outside, it looks poor and impoverished. But you step into any one of those homes or apartments in Cuba and you find color, life, vibrancy, and passion. And so I had these 25 teenagers and leaders, and we drove to Mariel, where the famous Mariel boat lift came from. That's where basically Cuba loaded up all the, ex, the prisoners and the mentally ill and all kinds of people, different people from all walks of life. The outcasts put them on a boat and shipped them off to Miami in 19, late 70s, 79, I believe. I was there. It transformed the whole landscape of South Florida. So here I am. I'm about to go to Mariel. And we pull up with a busload of teenagers. And everywhere we went in Cuba we had to give an itinerary to the government and we had guards that monitored us and followed us everywhere we went. And I was told never to say words like warfare, army, fighting. No, don't use spiritual terms like that because in the government's mind, which they don't understand the world we live in, 
they're watching out for people to try to create a coup to overthrow the government, you know, and so I couldn't, I couldn't use a lot of the militant terms that I would use so that we wouldn't get confused for what we're doing. So we pull up to Mariel, and there's this little bitty tiny apartment in the midst of a building, and it's all run down, and it looks just like the project. And we pull up, and I could hear the teenager go, is this it? And we get out, and we, we walk up, and we see the apartment's completely full. It's about maybe 800 to 1,000 square feet. They have a sheet in the middle of the living room separating the back area from the front area so that they could have church. And when we walk in, as soon as I walk in the front, there's people everywhere, probably 150 people there. As soon as I walk in, and they're all outside and inside, as soon as I walk in, they walk up with a fresh, hot, steamy plate of lobster. And I was like, because they're catching rock lobster right there off the coast. And I'm like, yeah, this is my... This is my kind of mission trip. And we have this attitude that we're there to minister and bring missions to the nation of Cuba when you have to understand an entire generation for 40 years has never been allowed to leave the island. And as soon as we walk in and they walk up with the lobster and I'm seeing people already in intercession, they've been waiting three, four hours for us to get there because everything runs late in Cuba. Hours late. Hours late. I get this open heaven vision and I see the sheet and I see the room and the people, but suddenly my vision shifts and I'm seeing what looks like the courts of heaven and a palace. And in my natural mind, I thought I'm walking into an impoverished place, but in the spirit, I was walking into a place full of power and life and energy. And I realized how erroneous I was to think I was there to be the missionary when really they needed to bring missions to my life and speak to me. And I started to openly weep. And I said, I can't even preach. Pray for us. And for the next three hours, they laid hands on us and prayed for us and prophesied. And it was so supernatural because you got to realize they don't get to go on mission trips. We, anybody that goes there becomes the mission field. And in Cuba, the church is lit on fire. You know why? Because of the persecution. And so I said to the pastor of this church that we were partnering up with, I said, you know, are you guys praying and believing for the socialist communist regime to come down? And they go, no. I said, why? He said, because the church is so desperate and so on fire and people are growing by leaps and bounds. The church is expanding mightily in Cuba. He said, if the, if the wall comes down, the curtain comes down, Everything in America and the flood of resorts and tourism and world religions and everything that comes with the Americanized way of life will flood right into Cuba and then people will live comfortably instead of desperately. Now that doesn't mean I don't want the communist regime to come down and I think socialism and communism is a terrible thing. And, I, and I'm sure he would too. But his point was, he was making a point to me. We think it just needs to come down when the truth is the church is lit and on fire because of the persecution that it's facing. Now, my message is not about persecution today, but I am going to tell you what happens when you are persecuted. I mean, the worst that we struggle with is your mom or dad thought you were crazy when you gave your life to Jesus. Or, you know, they didn't want anything to do with your faith or they thought it wasn't going to last or they thought, you know, especially you're going to Rock City. It's like, oh, you go to that cult church. I think we're the most normal church you'll ever find personally. I really do. 
But you're going to get some persecution, but the level of persecution that you feel compared to what and what's it doing inside of you. See, my whole life I've dealt with some sort of persecution. Now, it's not been like China. It's not been like the nations that banned the Bible. But I've had people that have thought that I was crazy. And even to this day, somebody, people have said things about this church and about me, especially when we pray in tongues and we go after the spirit or cast out demons or do any of that stuff. But that pales in comparison to the persecution that the early disciples were facing. Now, you've got to understand, the early disciples were considered a sect and they were the subculture that that most of the culture around them thought that they were crazy. Even though Jesus had a lot of people that, were, that he was healing, that were being transformed in the multitudes, Jesus really only had about 500 followers. And so Jesus, of course, you know the story. Jesus dies on the cross. There's all, nine of the disciples left him. One betrayed him. One forsake him, forsook him, and only one was standing with him. John, Right? And so persecution is happening everywhere against Jesus. Of course, Jesus resurrects, and he goes to visit the disciples in the house where they had had the Last Supper. So they're hanging out where they had the Last Supper. Jesus had resurrected, and it says that the disciples were disheartened, they were fearful, they were afraid, and they were hiding out. So Jesus comes to encourage them. And for 40 days, he walks the earth before he, resur- before he ascends to heaven, okay? And so on that 40th day, Jesus meets with them, takes them out to the Mount of Olives, and he says to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's my instruction. I want you to go to Jerusalem and tarry, wait for the promise of the Father, capital P, which is the Holy Spirit promised from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. The sons and daughters would prophesy. The old men would dream dreams. And upon his sons and daughters, maidservants and men servants, he'd pour out his spirit. So Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for me to send the promise of my father so that you can be endued with power. All right? Now, The word endued means a soaking into a garment. It means the more that God has in store for you. They were believers. Even Jesus had breathed the Holy Spirit into them. But God said, I've got more for you, and I want you to go wait in Jerusalem for me until I bring it. Now, verse 53, we find a unique thing. In Luke 24, 53, we find this. The disciples continually went to the temple to praise and bless God. So, they, so after Jesus ascends and they see him ascend, what did they do? They continuously went to the temple and they were blessing and praising, worshiping the Lord. One of the spots that they hung out a lot at was Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was an area east of the temple in the outer court about 90 feet by 30 feet. And it was like a a cloister of pillars and columns and a place where you could hang out and talk doctrine and theology and, you know, talk about the Torah and all the things that they would do publicly in the outer court. That's a place that they would hang out a lot. And so I want to go back to verse uh, verse 49, and I want to talk to you about a particular word in this verse, 
and it's the word tarry. The word tarry does mean to wait, but it specifically means to wait in a particular place and take your place until you are given the king kingdom from a king. It's not just so much I'm waiting. It means that I'm waiting with expectancy and I'm taking my seat until I get it. Now, imagine if I said to my wife, I said, Amber, in five days from now, on September 25th, which is my birthday, you are going to get a visitation from the Lord and you're going to get a supernatural encounter from God. And I want you to expect it and I want you to believe for it and I want you to wait for it. Okay? If I said to any of you, in five days from now, I want you to wait expectantly for something cool to happen. This coming Wednesday, you're going to have a visitation. So Wednesday comes around. What are we doing? I understand that. We should be expecting. I had a dream in the night where Bobby Connor came to me. I was going through a real difficult time. And he said, on June 10th, you're going to have a visitation from the Lord. Now, on that June 10th, I happened to be with Ray Hughes in Wales. Every minute of that day, on June 10th, I sang, I worshipped in the most beautiful places, but I had it on my mind all day long of an expectancy, and that day, I got a life-changing visitation and word from the Lord that shifted my entire course. Had I not had that visitation from the Lord and the word that God gave me, I wouldn't be here today. And my point is this. The disciples were waiting in the upper room, but they weren't sitting around just playing Yahtzee and having a Monopoly showdown. Listen to me. They weren't just out on a fishing trip or going off hiking or hunting. I love to hunt, hike, fish, play Yahtzee and Monopoly, and I think we should all have those times together as family and friends and community. But the point I want you to see is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we see a very powerful key component that would transform the early church to be full of power, supernatural signs and wonders, and is critical for Rock City Church and your life individually. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, These all continued. Now, I'm going to show you this word continued about five times because I don't ever want you to give up in communing with the Lord and seeking to hear his voice. Because the devil, the world, life, circumstance, situations will do all that they can to get you to move backwards or shrink back. Listen to me. Please do not give up ever. I've been doing this for 27, 28, almost 30 years. I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of bumps in the road, and a lot of hiccups. But I never backed down. I always stayed aggressive and I pressed forward despite those shortcomings. And God always met me and proved himself merciful and faithful. For the Lord is good and his mercy, his mercy endures. You know what that word endure means? It means to stand firm in the face of hardship and affliction and difficulty. And I get it. We're not in China. We're not in nations, North Korea, that ban the Bible. I get it. You can be an out loud Christian here. But I'm telling you, God has a way of bringing hardship and difficulty and allowing suffering and tribulation to come to strengthen you, transform you, thicken your skin, and get you to constantly pursue him and be desperate. Because the minute that I get so comfortable in my comfortable little life is the minute I lose my edge and my fire. 
And God wants you to live on edge and on fire. I've been doing this a long time. And the type of prayer that I'm going to talk to you about today is not some quiet little sissy, passive, ho-hum. This is not that church, everybody. I love y'all. But this is aggressive transformation, take territory, <clears throat> apostolic church. This is a church that's on a mission. We named it Rock City to transform the community. I just applied for the Ethics Commission. I just got approved to be on the board of the Flower Bluff Citizens Council. And I'm meeting with politicians, city council leaders, other pastors of the city, because we are on a mission to transform this community. We got kids coming up and generations coming up that don't know what we know. And people complain to me all the time. I hear it all the time. I have my well guy come up, you know, to dig my well, 110 feet. It had been dried up for a long time here in the bluff. He came out. And I tell him what I told him what I do, and he starts complaining to me about millennials in this generation, why they don't have a work ethic, and why don't know, they know the Bible, and complain, 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 complain. And I already know when somebody's complaining and apathetic like that, they're not hearing God's voice clearly, nor are they making their voice heard to make a difference. We are the clarion call to this generation. You are not irrelevant. You are not too old. You haven't made too many mistakes. And if you're a millennial in this house, you show your millennial generation what fire and life and power is supposed to look like. But don't sit back and complain. Do something about it. I get it. But if we listen to all, if we're constantly hooked into talk radio, if we're constantly hooked into the news channels, the world, politics, all the, the issues of the day that divide us, uh, you know, abortion and uh, immigration and uh, uh any of the hot-button issues, Democrat, Republican, LGBTQ, if we're so caught up with those things and not hearing God's voice clearly, we won't be the clarion voice to make a change in this generation. You see, I want the liberals, the Democrats, the Republicans, the LGBTQ to all come here. Make sure you all know that. Because I, and if that's any of you, you should know that I love you. I care about you. I was raised in a salon. My mom was a hairdresser, single mom. And all the men that worked there were gay, and they all cut my hair. And they did way a better job than my mom did, just so that you know. I waited tables for years and years and years and years. I worked with many, many gay friends. And the point is, is love covers a multitude of sins, and the only way people are going to get transformed is by the Holy Spirit and Jesus, not us. I'm going to rip you to stretch. Facebook, Facebook. I'm going to Facebook kill you. I'm going to show you on Facebook. But the truth is, God calls us to look. Say, come here, man. Give me a hug. See, I witness to people anywhere, everywhere, all the time, no matter who they are. Because love transforms people's lives. And the best way to battle the darkness is to be loving. But we also have to be indignant. You know what indignant is? Indignant means I'm pretty hacked off. You know what I'm hacked off at? I'm hacked off at abortion. And I don't really care. I, I love pro-choice, pro-life. I'm clearly pro-life. I make that very clear from here. Okay? Because I believe it's an atrocity and it angers me. You know what else really angers me? Injustice is done to children. And I will do anything within my power to rescue a child, to help a child, and to bring life to children. Because they don't have a voice for themselves. And we help all day long. We help single moms. Man, we give money out to help single moms. And I do whatever I can. I'm not going to let you, if you're a single mom, you got a child, get your power shut off. 
We're going to do whatever we can because we have a call from God. And if we love right and we live right and we give right, guess what God will do? You got to shift your thinking because we want to be hacked off, ticked off, mad, and then we complain about it. I can have a righteous indignation, meaning it angers me, but what do I do to transform it? See, the disciples, when they were told to wait, and they're th- everyone's saying they're crazy. Lies were being spread all throughout Jerusalem that the disciples took the body and hid it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, they saying that Jesus resurrected. Pfft. Only like, you know, so many people saw that or saw him and went to the tomb and they're crazy, they're jacked up, and really they're out to overthrow the Roman government. So then the Pharisees and the Sadducees are probably filing reports with the Roman government, but then they also hated them because they'll ultimately arrest them and tell them never to preach in Jesus' name in a minute. So they're highly, highly, highly isolated and persecuted. And Jesus says, go wait until I give you more. And so the word tarry is so important because the word tarry means to meet in a place. The word tarry actually is another word synonymous to tarry is oratory. Do you know what an oratory is? It's a chapel or a specified meeting place. Let's say the banks of a river where the Jews would meet a lot because they could wash their hands. They have lots of open and open air. Let's say the let's say the beach. How about right here? It's a specific meeting place with expectancy that God's going to do what he said he would do. That's what it means to tarry, and that's what it means to wait. But what I really want you to notice is that they weren't alone. They didn't go their separate ways. They didn't do their own thing. They did it together. Because you can't do this life without each other. I can't do it without you. That's why God calls local bodies together. And this church can't do it without New Life, Church Unlimited. I don't care what church it is. If they love Jesus, get them, God. Get Port Aransas Baptist Church, Island in the Sun, Walter Road Baptist, Church of Christ. If, they, if, they said that, if they've given verbal assent to you, rock them by the Holy Ghost. Because real revival is not going to be that Rock City got it and we blew up. And, oh, man, it was so crazy. Real revival is going to be when all the body of Christ together as one gets an outpouring from God. You see a church of Christ get on fire, you know it's revival. Right? You start seeing tambourines and drums bust out in Church of Christ. God showed up. So in Acts 1.14, like Cuba, you had 120 people hanging out in the tiniest of space. You can't find an auditorium for 120 people in an upper room. And in Acts 1.14, it says they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And here's who you had. At this time, you had 11 disciples because the 12th hadn't been voted in yet. You had 11 disciples. You had deacon women that supported and followed Jesus. You had mother, uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and you had Jesus' brothers who once didn't even believe he was the Savior and tried to show him up and front him out in Jerusalem. Said, if you're really who you say you are, why don't you go up to the feast and show off? And Jesus said, my time hadn't come. But somehow they got rocked and now they're waiting and continued. They continued to wait together. How? 
Go back one screen. In one accord, in prayer and supplication. Now, I want to show you a couple things about this scripture. The word prayer here literally, yes, it means to talk to God, but it more so means to worship and sing. So they continued to sing and declare the faithfulness and kindness. That's why singing is so important. I've been singing a lot more lately. My wife's like, yeah, you have. (laughs) But something happens when I open my mouth and I use the instrument God's given me, my vocal box. Because some of you say, well, I'm not, I don't play an instrument. Well, then rip your throat out. I don't know what to tell you because you got one right here. Say, well, I can't sing. Well, get in the shower, turn up the music, drive in your car, crank it up, whatever. And then don't be in here. I'm just singing a little louder. It's like singing a little louder. Amber's like, man, you're singing too loud. I'm like, sing a little louder. I'm getting ready to go elk hunting in Colorado. She's like, oh, it's going to be so peaceful while you're gone. So they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and there was 120. I want to talk to you about this word, one accord, today. This word is very, very, very important. This word, one accord, is a compound Greek word of two words. It literally means with one mind and with one passion or to be unanimous. So if I said, can I get a vote on something? We could have disagreement, but if we're unanimous, we're in full agreement, all right? So this word connotates two things that's important for you to know. It's a compound word that means to rush along in unison, to rush along in unison. The mindset of this word is like a musical, a Broadway, like Hamilton, for example. If you ever went to see Hamilton, it's a huge Broadway production. What goes on behind the scenes to make that production perfect and flawless from beginning to end requires hundreds and hundreds of people all being in different places at different times doing unique things, but all doing one thing in common to produce a beautiful show that's without error. Think of an orchestra or a symphony. We all, we got flute players, we got violinists, we've got timpanies and drummers, and all of us have a different sound. But when we get together in unison, we have a really important word for you to understand in the Greek. It's the word harmony. And the first word in this compound word is related to the word harmony. It means to be together unified. All right? It's hamu is the word. You won't remember the Greek words, but I know it. The second Greek word is a word that means to rush along as if you were inflamed with passion. It means to glow, radiate with ardor. You know what ardor is? A-R-D-O-R. Anybody? Well, look it up. I stumped you all today. Ardor means to be incredibly inspired and passionate for a purpose and to radiate that passion out of your life. The word also means to be inflamed with passion as if you were drunk with wine, strong red wine. And think about this. When somebody is intoxicated or drunk, they're uninhibited and usually don't care, and some people can be mean, angry drunks. And they don't care, and they get indignant. God calls us to be indignant the right way. 
The great thing about the new wine that God gives you that intoxicates you is there's no hangovers that I'm in my right mind and I preach the gospel and the truth and I love and I get filled with his presence. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he uses that in one same scripture. Because being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit are similar. One is a thievery counterfeit from the devil. The other is fully satisfying from heaven what God originally intended. But in this scripture, it, it says that their prayer was in one accord, meaning that they rushed along inflamed with passion and they were uninhibited. They didn't care what anybody thought and they were indignant. Not sissy, quiet, passive, ho-hum. Worship team gave me grief this morning. I came in and Jeremy had prayed. I said, hey, did you all pray? They said, well, Jeremy prayed. I said, well, come over here. I'm going to show him up in prayer. So I prayed my prayer and... Nathan goes, yeah, that was, that was nice. Man, that was a good librarian prayer. And Mark or somebody's like, oh, it's like you opened up the city council. They said, oh, I'll give me grief this morning. But last Wednesday, when I led my noon prayer set, it wasn't quiet, sissy. Now, my prayer time is orchestrated by God. Sometimes I'm on my face. Sometimes I'm crying out, worshiping. But more often than not, 2 Timothy 1.6 says to fan into flame the gift that was given to you through the laying on of hands. So what I'm doing is I'm inflaming my mind and my passion because this word, this Greek word that talks about rushing along with passion and being inflamed is also speaking to your soul realm, your psyche, which is the seat of your emotions, your feelings, and your passions. It's emotional. That's why I say... Come on and let out a shout. Like, oh, man, we're gonna shout. Come on, let's lift our. Come on, guys. We are contending for life. Let's go. She cut And I'm coming in. People with about six people here. She and they were like, "Yeah, let's go," because they were really dedicated. And they're like, "Shut cut And I'm just crying out. It's like, why do you have to be so loud and passionate? Because if you understood what we're fighting for, I don't have time to be quiet. And this is not that. This is the promise of the Father. And the devil wants you silent and full of shame. And anytime I failed and I made mistakes and I felt beat up and beat down and I walk in here and I was like, I don't think I can do it today. That happens many Sundays. It happened today. Don't think I come in here. I'm soaring on the clouds. Many times I'm like, man, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You're going to have to show up today. And I drag myself in. I'm tired. I got a late start. I didn't feel like I researched my message enough and I wasn't ready. And I'm like, Lord, you got to show up. And the minute I get in here and that first strum of the guitar or Mark or Nathan release the sound or breathe and the sound begins to come out something shifts inside of me now suddenly the problems and the struggles that i once had god washes away in his presence and i begin to get transformed in worship and instead of being silent and ho-hum and woe is me screw up failure shame messed it i learned for 27 years i run harder and faster i don't care if you looked at porn this morning you get in this house and you run to jesus's arm you will never get free if you live in shame you better hear me out today I've been doing this a long time. This is not playtime for me. This is go time. And this word one accord means that I am as if I am drunk with wine. I'm so inflamed with passion. And guess what happened? As they began to come into agreement in unity in one accord, as if they were inflamed with wine, what would happen? They would get inflamed with wine. Not from a bottle, but from heaven. 
Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, when they were together on the day of Pentecost, they were all together. How? Unified together as one person, inflamed with passion for a purpose and indignant. We're not sitting here angry and arguing with one another about politics and your belief systems. Instead, what we're doing is we're getting unified by the Holy Spirit and we're getting our eyes on Jesus to bring life and love and liberty and power. And if people are coming here and they believe that abortion's okay, let them get into the atmosphere and the life of God's presence. Let the LGBTQ come so they can see we love and we care about them. We're not out to beat them up. Let's give them a hug and say high five. So glad that you're here. Oh, you guys are married? How long you been married? All right. Well, come on. Let's soak in the presence of God. What are we going to do? Stand at the door and say, oh, no, you can't be here. Leave. Church isn't a good old boy club. This isn't a special elite sign up thing. This is living our faith out loud for everyone to hear it and know it. Do I think in any way the gay lifestyle is okay? No, I don't. But I also know the best way that anybody can be transformed is by Jesus because only Jesus does the changing. If we don't get into one accord in our, in our passions and our pursuits, this church will get divided. Now, I get it. Some people won't like my style, my present, my, you know, this won't be their preference, the preaching, the worship, whatever. First, let me say that you've got to be spirit-led where you go because God will often call you to go in a place that you're not comfortable and doesn't make sense, number one. Number two, what I would say is find your tribe. We should be here because we found our tribe and the Holy Spirit called us here together and we can do it. We can tear down these dividing walls. But you know what? Maybe, maybe for some people another church is better and they speak a language that resonates more with them. It's not divided competition church. I'm not angry. I'm not sitting here going, man, I just wish all these seats were filled. Last service, there was hardly a seat in the whole house. I'm not sitting here going, numbering the people. How, no, how big's my army right now? I'm not pulling a David thing, taking a census and being prideful. I don't, even, I, don't pri- I don't even know the attendance of the last year. And that's everything contrary to what I was taught. I don't even know what you give or don't give. You know why? Because I'm so trusted in the Holy Spirit. This is his deal, not my deal. I'll be faithful and make my voice heard to a broken, hurting, dying generation. And God says, outpour, outpour, outpour. Resources, finances. Everything that you need because you keep your eyes on the prize and what matters the most. I'm fighting for you. I may not be meeting with you and having coffee or coming to dinners, but I'm fighting for you in the spirit. Because what unifies us is not our political party lines, it's the Holy Spirit. What unifies us is our love for Jesus and the fact that we're on a mission to rescue and redeem and transform lives. What transforms us is unity and being one, in one accord by the Holy Spirit in our worship and in our passions and in our desires and even in our emotions. Now, that's a daunting task for 600 people, let alone 1,000, 2,000, whatever God's going to add to. It's going to grow. It has to grow. If a tree's not growing, it's dying. If we don't grow, we get inbred. And you don't want to know what happens when you get inbred. Invite your craziest of crazy friends. They'll, they'll fit here. Y'all are here. You think, man, I could never invite them. Well, you made it somehow. Jeez. So think of a symphony. Think of an orchestra. Think of a musical. We're rushing along together in unison, and we're indignant, meaning that I'm annoyed and I'm 
angry at the unfair treatment that's happening not only now, but what's coming down the line. Don't think for a second a greater persecution of Christianity is not going to come. Just prepare yourself. In fact, when somebody calls you this or says something about you, or, man, you jacked up, you messed up, man, you, you go to that tongue-tongue, you pray in tongues now? Oh, man, you are really crazy. You're a cult, that's this, this, whatever. Just rejoice when you have that. Be, get even more fired up. Don't, oh, man, wow, how, they slandered me on Facebook? Oh, oh I'm going to quit. I can't take it anymore. Oh, it's so hard. While we eat our Whataburger, some of y'all watching The Bachelor. Oh, it's so tough, man, my life. It's funny, but I'm also being serious. Because you got to understand what's at hand. Every day we drive by somebody sick, throwing up. You won't believe the stuff that's happening in our, our shopping center when we're not here. And I'm like, okay, well, Jesus, you put us, thank God you gave me this shopping center. And I know people are defecating and peeing and pooping and doing stuff and crazy stuff. I don't even want to tell you all around the shopping center. But you know what I know? God put me right in the middle of it and put you right here too for the right reason at the right time. And I'm on a mission and we're getting prepared for some incredible outreach to transform a city. I'm putting my money where my mouth is just so y'all know. I'm busy. I got little kids in coffee shops. But God's promoting all of us to be more effective and to have a greater voice in the community that's around us and to fight for the voiceless. Fight for the voiceless. And so the greatest strength that we can have right now is unified prayer. The greatest strength we can have is to be in one accord, to rush along in unison. Rush along in unison. That means that we are living all in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit so that God can add upon us. It's like Acts chapter 9. talks about the churches living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and God adding to them daily. So back to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Here's what happens. The day of Pentecost comes. They are all together in one accord in one place. When suddenly, what happened in verse 2? A sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven came and filled the whole house where they were staying. Now let me tell you something about this sound. This sound would be what would attract all the people to where they were. They released a sound. The people came because they heard the sound. All of you have a sound. And when we're in one accord, it's inflamed with passion. We're... And a sound of a mighty rushing wind is coming out of me. And a sound from heaven's being released in my worship, in my prayer, in my intercession. A sound is coming out of this church that will call in the people from all over the world to come here. That's what's happening. God puts a sound inside of you. And if you'll release it in song and worship and prayer and together our sound becomes so much more powerful. In unity and in one accord. So the sound fills the whole house where they were staying. Verse 3. You know the story that happens. They were suddenly all filled. Or tongues of fire appeared on the top of their head. That's a language that's on fire. It's a prayer life that's on fire. It's a verbiage that's on fire. It's a life that's on fire. It's a tongue that's on fire. Not divisive to kill you and hurt you and tear you down. But to bring life. Now what would happen is, next verse, 
They would be filled. You know what the word filled means? Crammed to max capacity. Picture my wife like a magazine chamber that holds 25, 22 long range, long rifle bullets. One, two, three. And then the last one I can't even get in anymore because it's popping out of her head. That's filled. You are max capacity. And guess what happens when you're, max, you're at max capacity? You overflow. And so they were filled. Now they were in unison as if they were rushing along drunk with wine. But guess what happens? God gives them a drink offering and actually fills them with new wine. Because in a minute you'll see they were mocked. And they were told that you must be drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. And by the way, when are they praying? By the time the people got there to see where that, that sound was coming from, it was 9 a.m. Peter stands and says, they're not drunk as you suppose. It's 9 a.m., third hour of the day. So they probably started their prayer meeting early. Sometime early. We don't know the exact time. But they were expectant. They were waiting. They were rushing along. And now what happened in them came on them. And God filled them because the word filled not only means fully furnished and crammed to max capacity. It means this really cool word, libation. You know what a libation is? This is a libation. It's empty. I wish it wasn't, but that's a libation. And so when God would pour out his spirit or his new wine, likened unto wine upon them, they would become intoxicated. First, they'd be intoxicated. And when you're intoxicated by God's love and presence and spirit, you become intoxicating to everyone around you. So when the people came to hear the sound that God set up, now they, being intoxicated, caused everybody around them to become intoxicated. Do you understand? My question for you is your life intoxicated. Are you intoxicating? And I'm not talking about a 12-pack of Keystone Light. I'm not talking about a, a bottle of whiskey. My question is, is are we full of the spirit and intoxicating to the point that people can look at us and say, man, you, you are drunk. Some mock, but others wanted to know, what is it? Somebody will mock you and somebody will ask you, what is it? What happened to you? And so they would get filled with the Holy Spirit. They would get filled with the new prayer language. Jesus or uh, Peter would stand up and preach the gospel. He would basically say, repent, be baptized, get rid of your sin, receive the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit for yourself, your family, your children, all who are far off. And then we get to Acts 2.42. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's, I feel like we're on repeat. They continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And for us as a church, it's so vitally important that we are connected together. I know there's a, there are always going to be people that come to a church, any church, and they're going to be satisfied with just coming to church on a Sunday morning and no more. And if that's you, I love you. Please keep coming. I'm glad you're here. But I also want to say to you that God has more for you. 
And if you're expectant and believing that God has more and you want more, because people say, where's all the signs and wonders and miracles that I hear about in the Bible or I'm hearing about in Africa? And I say, you know what? What they're facing in Africa and the life that we live here, what those early disciples faced, they didn't have refrigerators and ice makers. They didn't have air conditioning in their house. And they, the worst is they didn't have any espresso machines. All right, guys, that was somewhat funny. I'm going to get a laugh out of some of you this morning. Sheesh. You got to see and understand that the life that they were living, when you're hungry and desperate and persecuted, the, the response out of us should not be retreat and pull back. If you're going through difficulty and hardship, the response should be pick yourself up, get lean and mean, set your face like flint, get aggressive and go after it. And stop caring about what anybody else thinks or says. A lot of times I just pray in tongues wherever I'm at. With my wife, my kids. I'm just like, My kids aren't even phased by it. They're like, okay, that's normal. And what I realize is the Holy Spirit gives me utterance and that prayer language comes out of me. I'm not sitting there, man, I can't pray in tongues right now. You know, the big thing's crying. I cry a lot. More often than not, when I cry, you know, especially at a movie, I'm like, I don't want anybody. My wife and I went to see The Darkest Hour. We're in the movie theater. I know the story. She doesn't. We're one minute into it, and I'm like bawling. (laughs) And my wife, my wife, she doesn't just go like, you know, don't front me out in a movie theater. She's not just like, is he crying? No, she looks over at me and goes, are you crying? (laughs) And I'm like, I got mad. I'm like, yeah, leave me alone. Watch the movie. Especially if you cry at silly part. I, mean, you know, I cry at kids' cartoons. I cry at strangest stuff. But I learned a long time ago not to not cry or stop to cry. I once said, I remember I was with a group of people and something got me real emotional and I was about to cry. And I did that thing of, no, no, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Some of you do this a lot. I'm not going to cry. Not now, not now. I'm not going to cry. People in front of me when we're talking say, I'm not going to cry. I said, dude, let it out. It's all right to cry. You're in a safe place. And I said, Lord, I don't want to cry. I went seven years without crying. Some of you haven't wept in a long time. God created emotions and tears for a reason and a purpose. It softens your heart and it brings healing to your life. It's a good sign of brokenness and compassion. I get in God's presence, man, I just weep. And I can't live worried about what other people think or say. Not in my prayer life, not in my passion, not in my shouts, not in my extravagance in worship, not in my lifting my hands. Because God has wired for me for extravagance and he has for you as well. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's not based on your personality style. Now, you may never dance and shout. My wife's never going to do it like I'm going to do it. And we need that. That God wired it that way. Because it doesn't matter what your personality style is. 
You can still be authentic and passionate and expressive in your own unique way. What I care the most about is that you are worshiping. I don't care if you're dancing on your face, sitting, soaking. It doesn't matter to me, and I'm not sitting there judging. I just want you to be worshipers. And I want you to be desperate, and I want you to be hungry, and I don't want you passive and lukewarm. That's what the devil wants for you. So in Luke 2.42, it says that they continued steadfastly. Steadfast is a very important word. Steadfast means I set my face like flint and I never looked back. Steadfast means I am indignant, purposeful, intentional, diligent, and I'm never backing down at all times. Verse 43 says, Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now that's powerful. Now I don't want, I'm not telling you guys go sell all your stuff. Here's the point of that whole passage. They had lordship. The point is, is my stuff's not my own. The point is I'll do whatever I can to help you. The point is, is the kingdom of God is his, not mine. The point is, is we're here to help serve, love, and give whatever we can. Your house, your car, your stuff, our land, our baby chickens and kitties, they're all, they're not ours. We're stewards of them, but God entrusts us to be good stewards of what we've got. God says, I send my word to accomplish a purpose, and it will not come back to me void. You can't make it void. I can put up an umbrella on a rainy day and run around my three acres of land and say, rain don't get on my land, but my little umbrella in my biggest tent won't stop my land from getting rain or getting wet in a deluge. God makes a promise. We respond because we love him, and now we become the living word, not a voided word. If you feel a void in your life and darkness, that's when you need Jesus the most, and he's the closest, and then he fulfills his word, and now you're not a voided word. You're an accomplished, purposeful word. Do you understand? It's powerful. So as they all had a need. Now, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's right out of the Bible. You ready? Verse 46. I've given my life for this. I care way more about this than I do my coffee shops. I, I only really like my coffee shops because of three things. The people I get to hire, the community that it builds, and for sure, the coffee I get to drink for free. Yes, that's right. It's a benefit of owning. If we didn't own that coffee shop, thanks to my wife, we'd be bankrupt. <laughs> verse 46 I'm being trouble am I going to be in trouble at? nah she's like I'm used to this so notice this they continued daily rushing along everybody in position get into position Somebody's pulling the curtain. Somebody's watching the door, hallway, bathrooms, concession stand, Broadway musical. Positions, positions, everybody. While we rush along, and the curtains, the curtain's already ripped in two, by the way, and up. The curtain's already torn. It's go time now. But we can't do it individually. We need each other, and we got to get in position so that the sound that comes out is a true symphony, not cacophony. 
You know what cacophony is? It's a confusion of sound. And it's tormenting. Look it up. You, this is not cacophony. It's symphony. It's orchestra with a master conductor. And we all begin to sing and worship in passion and pray together in like-minded passion and unity. And now I'm doing whatever I can for you. And I'm not sitting here interviewing your political beliefs, but I'm loving you because I care about you and, I'll, and whatever we can do to help each other. And if we all do our part and keep giving, we can give back to one another. I can help the single mom. I can pay a rent. I can help with the water bill. I can help with food. We can do the things that need to be done if we all are unified together as one because now you realize what I have is not my own and you, you want to give. I don't have to compulse you. I don't have to twist your arm to give. Do you notice that I never, I talk so little about serving and giving because if I get you flamed on, notice, notice how many people are in position on any given Sunday morning and how little of anything I'm doing to tell them what to do. Nothing. Now Marlene on the other hand, She's running around like crazy with her prophetic finger. But most, peop most everyone that serves here is doing it because it's their nature and their passion. And they just, I can't, how can I give back what God's given to me? So they broke bread and they were one accord where? Publicly in the temple. And where else? At home. And that's why we have to build relationships outside of this church together. And that's why it's important that we're going to the home groups and we're going to the women's and men's meetings. And that's why it's important we're coming to the prayer meetings so that we can do life together as a family in one accord. I want to show you verse 47. In verse 47, it says that they praised God and had favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Rescue, protect, deliver, make whole. Rescue, protect, deliver, and make whole. As we live in the fear of the Lord in unity in one accord, God will add to the church daily those who are being rescued, protected, delivered, and made whole. Sozo. Rescued, delivered, protected, and made whole. That's what sozo means. To be saved means we rescued somebody out of meth addiction, prostitution, fear. We rescued a marriage from divorce. We rescued somebody out of an insane lifestyle of total craziness. And now they're transformed to become like Jesus. That's my story. That's his story. That's your story, your story, your story, your story. That story's all over this sanctuary. And it's going to continue to happen. From there, we get the creative miracle of the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. Peter and John are going to pray at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's a guy that's been lame from his birth sitting at the gate begging money. Peter looks and says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you. And he stretches out his arm. And suddenly, a creative miracle happens. The flesh, the sinews, the joints, the marrow, everything comes back into this guy's leg. His whole life, he was lame. 
And in the next minute, he's dancing wildly and crazy. And it says that all the people that saw it, it was as if they were on ecstasy. It says they were all filled with wonder and ecstatic. Because this guy they'd been seeing their whole life begging at the temple that we walked by every day, now is dancing and leaping and shouting and praising. And what that did to me was as if I had taken ecstasy. It was euphoric. It was supernatural. It, it rocked me. And so when we talk about where's the signs and the wonders and the miracles, I'm going to say when we get into one accord and get unified and truly become one the way God calls us to become, we'll see a lot more of it here at Rock City Church, especially in the context of prayer and worship and intercession. Right? That's what I believe. Because I don't think God's, oh, yeah, you know, because I know I make mistakes, especially in my marriage, but I'm not looking at porn, lying, stealing, cheating. I'm not purposefully diving, doing my double backflips into sin like I used to do. I make mistakes, and I know that I'm not perfect, but I'm moving towards it. But I can't see any good reason why God would not be pouring out his spirit. He already is, but a lot more in the signs and wonders and miracles. Except for the fact that God says, I want this church to be more unified. Because if we start having a healing revival, you can ask Jordan. If suddenly we started having things popping like Jeff is desperately wanting to see him praying for, it will shift the whole face of this church. Suddenly, lines will be lined up around and people will be coming for their quick fix and healing and miracles. And we want that. But if this house isn't unified, we'll get divided and we'll cave under the pressure of expansion. That's why things don't go wrong. They start wrong. So Peter and John get arrested for healing a man. That's what happened. They get arrested by the temple guard. Healing a man at Solomon's, or healing that guy at the gate called Beautiful. Then they start preaching to everybody at Solomon's porch. And what happens? They get arrested. Then they get commanded not to preach in Jesus' name. And they get let go. And in Acts 4.23, it says, when they got let go, where did they go? They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with. I, I know I've sounded like a broken record, but I want you to understand this one accord thing. One accord and unity is critical. So they raised their voice to God in one accord, together with their companions. And they said, Lord God, you made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them. And then they quote uh, Psalm 2. They declare lordship. That's the answer. And in Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This word together in the Greek is the word epi. It means super in, super transposed from heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit does in a congregation like this to make us one. But watch this. Now the multitude of those who believed were became what? Unified. Because it's one thing if we're unified, but when people come in with different thoughts and beliefs and just get born again, 
if a dancer comes in in a miniskirt, having danced last night, and hears God's word and power and presence, and answers the altar call, nobody's going, oh, God, I can't believe she wore that to church today. Oh, look at her. Oh, she, oh man, she, and she's getting rocked and wailing and travailing. And we, I've seen it happen, by the way, to a, to a dancer, a stripper that I personally witnessed to, came to a Tommy Tenney meeting. They were traveling through dancing to make money in Tulsa. I, I witnessed to her, and she came to a Tommy Tenney meeting the next morning and got born again at the altar. <clears throat> and then she became one with the church and the congregation. So we've got to be together in one accord. And then it goes on to say in verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave witness with great power. I can't emphasize to you enough how important it is that we're in one accord. Philippians 2.2, Paul says, make my joy complete. Make me the happiest I can be. Please, Rock City, make me happy. He says, full, full, fill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one, and of one mind. Do you know this one accord word is different than the other one accord? This word is actually where we get the word symphony. And it means now in our feelings, our emotions, and our passions, and our beliefs, we become one. Now we're un really unified. There's two one accords. Let's rush along together in unison. And as God transforms us, he'll make us a symphony. And now we'll release a sound together, you and me, you and me, you two, all of us, will become one and unified as a rushing, mighty symphony, releasing a sound. One heart, one mind, one love, one likeness. That's my desire, and that's God's prayer for us. Let's all stand. Philippians 2, 3 said no one lacked. And in this morning, if you're lacking, that's why we're here. The best thing that we can offer you is not silver or gold. It's Jesus. And if anybody here has been isolated, alone, abandoned, addicted, hurting, if you've been hurt, you were once like-minded somewhere and somebody rejected you or abandoned you, you're in a safe place here for healing and transformation. If you've been apathetic and angry by the world system or millennials or the White House or politics, if you've been angry at the church, if you've been struggling with where's the power, but you've been isolated and separated, if you want to step into the more that God has for you and you want to step into like-mindedness in one accord and rush along, let's rush along. I'll rush along with you. We're going to rush along together as a family in unison. And if you've been distant, far, hurting, angry, broken, addicted, if you've come in full of shame, hurt, and pain, and in a dark void, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, I want to ask you to come up to the front right now. Just make your way up here to the front. Come on. You're not an outcast. If you've been feeling like an outcast, 
and that you don't fit in, only the Holy Spirit can make, cause us to fit together. If you've been angry, mad, distant, feeling far from the Lord, not hearing his voice, I got great grace to pray for you for that. Proud of all of you. And I don't know what they're all struggling with, but what I know is, is I'm going to get aggressive to stand with you and for you, for your freedom, your healing, your deliverance, get you rescued, protected, and made whole and healthy and strong. And if there's anybody else here this morning that's feeling far from the Lord, you're battling any kind of addiction, hurts, pains, just been angry and apathetic, come on, make your way up here right now. Now, I want my prayer partners to come up and get behind them. And as I pray, I want to ask you to come and pray for them after I pray. And I want to ask all of you to please stretch your hands towards everybody that's up here right now. Anybody else want to jump up on this altar call? Come on. It's the walk of fame, not the walk of shame. Just come on up. I'm proud of you. Very proud of you. I'm proud of all of you. Just close your eyes presence and the power of God is here. We are unified together for a purpose. No matter what you're facing and what you're going through, hope, healing, and life is here. Prayer partners, just come get behind somebody. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for each of them. And then I want you to come and pray for them. I'll pray publicly. You guys agree with me. And then I'm going to release you to get your kids. Come on, agree with me in this prayer right, right now. Lord, I just, we just together as a family pray for everyone that's come up. We pray, Lord God, for healing, life, wholeness, power, strength, a rescuing, delivering, protecting, and a comforting over all of their lives. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you knew what we needed today and what they needed. And I thank you, Lord, that you've got the right word at the right time for all of them. I come against the fear, the shame, and the darkness. And right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would hover over the dark, hover over voids, hover over hurts and pains and shame. Come on, let it out right now. If you feel like weeping, just let it out. And just receive. You don't have to make anything happen. Just receive. Lord, we just command light to come out of darkness. We have an expectancy for everyone's heart and life that's come up. Thank you, Lord, that you predestined them to be sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. Adam was predestined. Justin was predestined. Susan, predestined. Dylan, predestined. You were all predestined to become sons and daughters in the likeness of Jesus. And I call that into being, and I speak light into every one of your hearts. Come out of the hiding and bring it all into the light. Lord, shine bright. Light, shine bright into the hearts of everyone that's come up this morning. I thank you, Lord God, for your freedom, your healing, your power, and your life. And as I touch them, Lord, I pray that you would quicken them by your spirit and bring healing to their hearts. And I bless everyone else here as you go. I bless you all mightily with a great awakening of God's reality and presence in your life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.